difficulty of 10. And Nunes is an absolute magician. He's set up for Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm here with you as always, Steve Haller. Joining me as always, the normal crew, Christian DeGuzman and Andy Pregler. Pregler was even at the game and made it back to hang out with us this week. So, you know, crazy thing, crazier things have happened, but that's right up there. Uh, what's what's going <laughs> on, guys? Unlike Pregler, he will not be around to see another football. I, I mean, unlike at Pregler, Scott Frost will not be around to see another football game. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right into it. I when, whenever uh, whenever Scott Frost comes up, all I can think about is the fact that he was supposed to be Dino Babers. Yeah. Syracuse yeah. <laughs> wanted to hire Sky. They we wanted to hire Scott Frost. Scott Frost did mm-hmm. not want to come to Syracuse. He was using us to get more money to go elsewhere, which he did. Uh, and it's kind of crazy to me that Dino Babers has outlasted Scott Frost twice. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now that you think about it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And Scott if, uh, Frost has had two. <laughs> if this current trajectory is any indication, he may outlast him consistently. Uh, not, yeah. You know, not not follow him at the end of the season, because right now the Orange are 2-0 and somehow. Yeah, I, it's, I, I just want to throw this out there that I think the we this is a Kevin offseason topic, but like the the timeline, the what if timeline that is if we hire if Scott Frost actually wanted the Syracuse job is one of the more interesting ones, because that search ended up with Chris Ash, Scott Frost and Dino Babers. And that's, man, that is a intense <laughs> three final candidates. <laughs> right. And I just am looking at that going like those are three very different outcomes. And somehow I <laughs> yeah. think I'm confident enough saying that Syracuse still got the best one. Yep. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, I don't know too many people that disagree with you after the way everything's panned out <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> just just something to remind everybody, uh, you know, the, the hindsight is 2020 and all. But like this is why college football is so weird. You think, you know, everything in the moment. And then five years later, you know, nothing. Um, which five months ago, we were looking at this schedule, talking about Syracuse and their bowl chances going, there is no way that they're going to make a bowl this year. Uh, after week two, David Hale tweeted out uh, ESPN's FPI, uh, football power index, which is ESPN's, um, uh, basically their projection ranking engine. Uh, and it gives Syracuse a 90, what was it? A 96% chance of making a bowl. Something ridiculously high. I believe. Yes, ninety six point five percent chance of making a bowl. Uh, that is insane, gentlemen. We are living in an, a situation where, after everything that happened in week, I thought you were about to say we're living in a simulation. <laughs> we are living in this. We are well. We are living in a simulation where everything has broken right in week two. That seems to be setting Syracuse up for success, Christian. Uh, there's a lot of things to take away from week two, not just involving Syracuse, but opponents on Syracuse's schedule. What was your biggest or most surprising takeaway uh, from this past week? Syracuse might actually win against Notre Dame, question mark, question mark, question mark? (laughs) Notre Dame seemed... Yeah, because, like, when you consider what Notre Dame has at quarterback right now, and what Syracuse has in terms of defensive options to 
take away options of a quarterback. That's not looking good for their finding Irish right now. Yeah, after uh, after that Marshall game, there's not a lot that's looking good for the Fighting Irish right now. You, you make a great point. But yeah, I, mm. if we thought, it, let, again, we're back on the five months ago train. Is there a snowball's chance in hell we were having this conversation? No. I mean, it, as, here's the other thing that I will say. I, like, I know Clemson is Clemson, but given that last year, if Garrett Schrader could complete a pass, Syracuse probably either knocks off Clemson or takes Clemson to overtime. You know what the insane, given... thing, the insane thing about this year's Clemson game? It might come down to, does Dabble have the balls to put Cade Klubnick in? Yeah, because... The last time that Dabo was in this situation was the year that Clemson went to the playoff as a one-loss team, which was the year that Syracuse beat them because Kelly Bryant uh, was just not that good and got knocked out of the Syracuse game, and that well, ultimately he, he, ended up. That was not by that was not by choice though. That was no. due to Chris, that was due to Chris Slayton deciding to drive his head into the ground. Yeah. Yes. That that is true, but it just like that starts the universe of where they're like pull where Dabo to your point, Christian, where Dabo gets the balls to pull Kelly Bryant, who took him to a playoff that year, and just was like, "This isn't good enough. I'm gonna try this. Uh, I'm gonna try this new kid that I got, this Trevor Lawrence kid," and it obviously worked out. And the symmetry of if they get to if we get to that game, and that's going to be a thing. Uh, I just I find it all really interesting. Like all the big bads on Syracuse's schedule, the one that I'm least confident in us beating right now is NC State. <laughs> Which... Who also didn't look that I think I yeah. think ESPN currently has us favored against NC State. Which is wild to me. I yeah. just don't I I think that they might be, I think my hot take right now is that I think NC State's the best ACC football team. Uh it's not much of a wild hot take, to say. But like going no, into the year. Uh, yeah. That was, yeah, they but were that's always still the, the, oh, yeah. that's just wild to say just based on the past couple of performances of NC State. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't looked great by any stretch. But um, uh, of minor asterisk on whatever we were talking about with the Clemson quarterbacks, whoever starts is not going to finish that game if past is precedent. <laughs> Because the oh, no. Trevor Lawrence game that he started after after we no, found yeah, he him, after we found him in the game or the year before, we were the ones that got him to be the starter by knocking out the other guy, and then the next year we knocked out Lawrence and Chase Bryce ended up coming in and before he transferred to Duke, uh, giving us a, a nice comeback loss. Wait, so, are you just remembering yeah. this correctly? Trevor Lawrence wasn't on Clemson in 2017, was he? No, 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 he wasn't. Cle Kelly Bryant got knocked out, and they had a, yeah. a backup in that Her, game who was yeah. Oh, was that not... the Bryce game? No, because so Bryce, Bryce, Bryce was the comeback. Bryce game was yeah. 2018. That was the 2018 game. Right. That was our good team that didn't beat them after yes. our less good team did beat them. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and then 2019, we got beat by them very handily. Lawrence ran, mm. ran shit in the dome. That was uh, what it was. Yes, and then every year since then has been the uh, last year again in the dome. Uh, we should have beat them if Garrett Williams can or Garrett Williams Garrett Trader can make a pass. Uh, so, and then the year before that was down in Happy or down Death Valley where they we gave them a game for three quarters, not four. Um, and no, they, no, we had they it right. By the way, 
okay. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. Well, trying to remember Clemson games. <laughs> September 25th, 2018, after week four of the 2018 season, Trevor yeah. Lawrence would be the new starting quarterback for the Tigers. And then there Brian announced go. he was going to transfer, and then we knocked Lawrence out, and Bryce. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it takes all three all of this, us, but we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, this is, this is what we talk about when Syracuse football played a team that can loosely be described as a, uh, as a division one team. They, UConn, independent UConn Huskies did not look very good against Syracuse. Um, as Steve and uh, alluded to, I was at the game, I was sitting in the end zone, so I didn't have the best view of things because... I was in the end zone in the first quarter that Syracuse was not going towards, which meant that I the action was very far away from me for most of that quarter. <laughs> um, I didn't really see them very well until the second quarter when they were coming back down towards us. Um, but let's talk about the game a little bit before we uh, before we jump into other things. Uh, this was a blowout. Garrett Schrader with five total touchdowns. Uh, Sean Tucker kind of held in check, oddly enough. But from my vantage point, Syracuse ran pro- approximately maybe 15 to 20 total plays um, or like that. I know not like actual play plays, but like in terms of the Madden selection play sheet, they were running the same 15 to 20 plays in serious order. Yeah, um, it was definitely thought, the they thought, were on the the Ask Madden offensive coordinator sheet. It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, <laughs> whatever shows up, we're like, uh, we'll try that. Yeah, and there was there were some nice things there. I want to talk about the deep passing game a little bit, but Steve. Uh, let's just dive into the hogs uh, offensive line play. There were far less false start penalties uh, on a quote unquote road game. But the thing that I thought was most interesting, UConn uh, in most of the previews, UConn people had said that the run defense that they had was actually pretty solid. And we saw the Syracuse offensive line, not necessarily struggle um, to run block, but UConn was frustrating them and getting Deshaun Tucker far earlier than we've seen a lot of other teams get Deshaun Tucker in the backfield and at the line of scrimmage. Um, what was your overall assessment of the offensive line play? And I'm just curious if you saw anything in the run blocking that was anything less than they were being told to like maybe not go 110% every every rep. I quick quick hits from what I could see, you know, uh, trying to watch it while also trying to do the recap while also doing other things, you know, how fun that can be. But, um, you know, they, they cleaned up, like you said, they cleaned up the penalties. They cleaned up kind of the off the, uh, um, not, not within the whistle, uh, end of things that they needed to clean up. Uh, when the whistle blew, I think, as you alluded to, the ultra vanilla playbook didn't give them any, like it, it didn't do them any favors. Uh, there were a couple of times where they, you know, uh, looked subpar <laughs> per se against a, a decent UConn defensive front, but nothing too crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tucker ended up rushing 4.1 yards per carry 27 times for 112 yards and a touchdown. Like, it's, uh, I think someone in the comments described it as a workmanlike performance. There wasn't anything flashy. He didn't break anything. It was just like five yards at a crack, call it a day. So, you know, the line did what they could, but they definitely didn't do him any favors opening any holes. Um, and there may be more to come on that Wednesday after I actually take a look at it, but I wasn't uh, impressed, and I'd assume by the fact that you brought it up, you were not either. 
you're muted, Andy. Usually helps if you're not. <laughs> yeah, I know. I try to mute. I try to mute myself when other people are talking because I have this very loud air conditioning vent right above me uh, mm -hmm. that will my snowball will sometimes pick up. Uh, I see a little green thing on Discord light up over me, and I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, that's just air. that's just air." <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I the uh, that was the one thing that I would take away as like a negative was the was the run just the running game in general. A lot of it seemed to be Schrader needing to make things happen on his own. Um, and he was doing a great job of kind of making that like to his credit, he was doing a solid job of it. Um, but in general, I kind I wanted to see some bigger holes. It looked like Tucker was really fighting for every yard that he was going for out there, which is not what you necessarily want against UConn. Um, but Christian, what did work for the offense? Garrett Trader was throwing some nice deep balls. Um, they, it was, I was not expecting it. Uh, the first deep throw that was like just thrown a dime and completed for the touchdown, I was legitimately stunned. I did not think that he could throw a ball that accurately uh, uh, with that arc, but here we are. He's Garrett Schrader fundamentally looks like a different quarterback from Garrett Schrader of last year, and it's kind of crazy how much of a difference uh, this, this player is. It's kind of crazy that it seems like Garrett Schrader and Damian Alford have a clause under contract that their completions to each other can only be 40 plus yard touchdowns. Mm -hmm. It's like that's it's it. got to be written in. <laughs> There's no <Yeah>. other way. <laughs> because you don't see Alford anywhere else other than a 40 plus yard completion. Well, I think in the but Slack yeah, I joked uh, that the drop on uh, the first week, it was only like a, yeah. you know, it was only a 17 or 20 yard completion, so he couldn't do that. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Like he, he he knew like his scholarship had to stay valid, so <laughs> yeah, I'll let that one go and just save it for the next week. But yeah, the the touch he showed on some of those deep balls, not only to Alfred but the one to Demarcus Adam as well in the third quarter as well, was very very good and very very promising to see. Uh, but the more important thing is two things that we noted in the Slack. One thing I pointed out in the takeaways as well um, is that when you analyze most of those passes there were maybe three balls that were outside numbers that trader threw everything else that trader threw was in between the numbers and what helps with that is not only did is that's probably a more comfortable throw for trader to make other than a lot of the sideline passes that we saw tommy devito really rely on during his time in syracuse and probably the passes that trader was asked to make and couldn't do so for various reasons. So they switched it to the middle, and that's probably an easier pass for him to make. But also the route running for the receivers are better. They're getting a lot more, like, not just uh, this week, but last week as well. They're getting a lot more separation um, between their cover guys and making themselves an option. We've been asking for pretty much the past couple of years who was going to make themselves an option and who was going to make themselves available uh, to the quarterback in order to put the offense in the best position to succeed. And five different guys while Schrader was in there had three receptions or more. That's a great spread. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly what you want from Syracuse is to have a multitude of options, making themselves available, which helps with the unpredictability of the offense, which could hopefully open things up later on. But it also just plays into Schrader's strengths of a lot of crossing routes over the middle and easy throws that he can make in between the numbers. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, I guess the progression of that is get him comfortable there, and then maybe as the offense evolves and progresses, you know, maybe we'll see, we'll either see routes to, like, I guess that's, we can watch watch what routes we're seeing to see if they're consciously working to pull people out of that middle and get him space across there, or if it's just a function of that's where he's comfortable hitting his reads. And it may be a combination yeah. of both, but we'll, we, we can, we can kind of suss that out later. Yeah, I'm, I'm right now looking, I've been curious about something in the last two games. Um, one of the things that I think we've talked about is like, who's going to step up for Syracuse? Uh, there have only been two players on Syracuse's roster who have been targeted more than three times in a single game um, this season. Uh, the first one is Sean Tucker. Shocker. Uh, a lot of those screens and whatever. Like He's going to get a lot of targets no matter what, especially with his role. The only other player to get more than three targets in a game is Devon Cooper. And he was. it is one of those situations where he is so much older than everybody else, you kind of would expect him at this point to be a bit better than everybody else. However, the the kind of player that he is, that slot wide receiver, is something that the good Dino Baber Syracuse teams have had. Um, they, and the last few years, there hasn't been a natural uh, player in that, in that position. Cooper feels like he could be that, like, uh, that slot receiver who is just causing havoc uh, at all levels of the field, but is primarily being used in short uh, in short situations and becomes a secondary safety net for Schrader. And I think we're seeing that he's uh, there is a connection there. There is a little bit of a trust there. I'm interested to see how this evolves over time because uh, Christian, like you said, like Alford is the deep threat, and it's great that we have the deep threat. Uh, the deep threat only, as we saw in some other years, uh, most recently uh, with former offensive coordinators who are no longer there, the deep threat does not work if that is the only threat. There needs to be something else in the middle or underneath that forces defenses to make decisions. Um, and I, if Cooper and Alford can basically, they are literally the two opposites of each other in pretty much every way. If they end up being a one-two punch for Schrader, I do think that this offense has the potential to go back to being a top 25 unit, um, which is what, you know, Babers has always wanted for, for this team is that the offense is really solid and is just, uh, is just a, a, a pain in the ass to deal with because they're efficient and they have lots of options. Well, you also need mid threats as well. And ironically that came from the tight end slash tight end hybrid. And, Ronde Gatson and Max Main, mm-hmm. which was first of all great to see Max Main get involved in the passing game. Like, wow, what a concept! <laughs> and but like <laughs> those guys were pretty good in the ten to twenty yard range, and that could and to continue to develop that portion of Syracuse offense as well gives them just another layer that they can go to, which is very very important. Yeah, and to see Gadsden and Trevor Pena, both like true sophomores, both of them making a major impact, um, it's it's great to see. I mean, those are two of the guys that, as you mentioned, had three tar- uh, uh, three receptions or more. Um, Pena kind of operated as Devon Cooper light 
which that's fine. I am more than happy with that. Uh, C. Jax got some got some love as well, which was, you know, uh, something we had expected, I guess, more of maybe before we realized that Schrader and Cooper are 100% on the same page, it seems. So, uh, uh, and also, I guess, if we're talking receivers, we do have to give a shout-out to Thunder Dan Villari. Uh, I, I'm definitely, I'm rocking the Dan Marley on him 100% now. Um, <laughs> but with his first reception of his college career for 22 yards, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Isaiah I'm, Jones I'm... on the outside the numbers uh, cat grab. That was yeah. one of the one of the few. So you know we they spread it around they more did. than I think we've seen in years. And this is and this is my point about bringing up the uh, about bringing up the targets and Cooper is that it seems like right now this offense is basically a meritocracy. Like, listen, we nobody here has been has been worthy of the of being the primary target man for the last three years. Like. None, none of nobody in this receiving group deserves to be the number one look every time by default. Um, they're spreading it out, and I think that who we see get the most targets is going to be who is the most effective and who Schrader trusts. And if it's Cooper and Tucker, like that's that's a solid start. And then you add in these deep threat layers. Now that we've seen him be able to make those throws, like there's there's uh, there's levels to this, and that to me is really positive because I think our biggest criticism of the last regime's offensive strategy was that the offense was very predictable and was either a short pass behind the line of scrimmage or a deep pass down the sidelines. There were they they did not use the entirety of the field. And, and this take, offense fundamentally feels different. Don't take our word for that as well. Take it from offense, opposing defensive coordinators who have said the past two years that the Syracuse offense is extremely predictable. And that has come out in various reports, most notably in the Athletic when they interviewed a bunch of ACC coaches. Uh, they said, yeah, the Syracuse offense is really, really easy to read. And it made game planning against them very, very easy. And so now when you bring in Robert Renee and bring in this new offensive system where you're seeing all the various spots uh, where they're attacking, hopefully more so when you get Creator out of the shell of throwing down the middle, then it becomes a offense that can hang with the better defenses in the ACC, especially for that six-game stretch that's going to be so important for Syracuse. Yeah, that... Yeah. Every time I see that on the schedule, I just kind of yeah. cringe as to what is going to happen there because right now everything's looking good. We have a big matchup with Purdue coming up this weekend, um, mm -hmm. and I think we'll uh, we should we should we bury the lead on that and touch the D or uh, where do, where do we want to <laughs> go next? Well, I think I think I want we should talk about the defense for a bit because uh, Tony White's mob awards are out. So talk about the defensive performance. Um, but in general, I am going to say that I think this defense is is really good. Like, I really like this defense to the level of I think it is going to be the best defense that we have ever seen Syracuse have in the modern era. And yes, I'm t including the Doug Marone, Scott Schaefer led defenses that were just pin ears back, get to quarterback, see what happens. 
um, the the Tony White scheme and the players that are currently out on the field are some of the best that we've ever seen. Uh, and the whole thing is just coming together in a way that I feel is really good. Um, the run defense is still a little suspect. I don't love where how UConn was able to move the ball on the ground. I didn't love how Louisville was able to move the ball on the ground. Uh, but if the offense is putting up points, that's I don't think we're going to have to worry about that too much. <laughs> yeah, that's still the only worry about the defense is that the defensive line when it's in there, especially when you rotate in the second defensive line, it's clearly a level down in terms of the run defense when you put it against the first uh, defensive line. And the first defensive line still has its fair share of struggles here and there in terms of the run defense. So that's something that Syracuse is going to have to work on uh, in order to make it to even the next, next level, which is weird to say with this defense, because again, when you switch to the passing game, it's just such a strong effort. Um, and that just goes to show a lot of basically it's a good hybrid of the, like you said, the Doug Marone, Scott Schaefer, the front six guys are the, okay, um, we're coming to the quarterback and good luck trying to do anything about it. And the rest of the guys run the field are, okay, try getting a ball past us. Psych, you can't. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, and you touched on the D-line. That The only time that <laughs> UConn was able to generate any semblance of an offense was against the, the full second unit defensive line. And I'll be curious moving forward if we see the full line changes like we have so far on the year or whether they start picking and choosing when to rotate folks in and get them more, um, you know, give people a blow by rotating the line rather than rotating the whole unit. Because it seems like uh, it was kind of going like two to one drives. So two two first team drives, one second team drive. And um, I'm I'm very curious what we'll see against Purdue as to whether we're going to have that second unit on against a improved uh, offensive front. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point and kind of leads us into the Purdue uh, preview because I have Bill Connolly's, if you don't know, Bill Connolly, the guy who does SP+, he does advanced box scores that he posts on Twitter uh, after big games. And so the Penn State-Purdue game was one of the better ones in week one. Uh, that is... These box scores track things like uh, percentage of, of dropbacks versus zone and man coverage. Like they do the things and they give you the pieces of info that you want. And there are some really interesting things about what Purdue does or chose to do against Penn State that I'm curious um, if they did against Syracuse, what the outcome will be. So we'll get to that in a second. But before we get there, we got to talk about our good friends at Home Field Apparel, located in Indiana, purveyors of both Purdue and Syracuse wares. Homefield Apparel is your place, one-stop shop for the best vintage collegiate apparel that you can find on the interwebs. They have comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, joggers, collectible pins, collectible stickers. They've got pretty much everything if you are a college football fan. So if you're a Purdue fan, if you're a Syracuse fan, you should head on there and grab some of their most comfortable t-shirts uh, with some great throwback logos. Uh, use the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at Home Field Apparel. Uh, that is any order, any size, 10% off your first order with the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S. Gentlemen, we are playing Purdue, and in my brain, I was going to do it this week, and then I drank too much yesterday, and I'm just tired and need at least two days to recover because I'm old now. Uh, but... 
Syracuse's history of playing Big Ten teams at the Dome is pain. It's it's just it's just Steve's face and pain. Um, because I think of the Iowa should, game. Should, should we should we get Casillo in to talk about that? <laughs> if you if you put Casillo and I on a cast talking about that game, I'm sure everybody would just tune out. <laughs> <laughs> the depression level would just crater. <laughs> would you like to be sad? Here yeah. is a sad cast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it right there. Well, we'll 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 do an off season run with the sad cast. <laughs> so it's the but there's Iowa other game, big time. It's my Nova game. Yep. Like, what else are good options for that? The Louisville game where Jackson Lamar Jackson had his hurdle. Like, we could, oh, yeah. we could go on. on, on uh, the, yeah. No, the Rutgers the stupidity. Yep. Andy yeah, the Rutgers and I were on the same page. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rutgers game is top of mind for me. That's the worst one that I ever saw in person. Um, but. The the reason I bring this up is that Big Ten teams have a style, uh, or at least we assume Big Ten teams have a style, and Purdue is just a Big Ten team that we assume has the style. Uh, they throw the ball a lot. Against Penn State, they threw the ball over 60 times. Um, they really don't love to run the ball a whole lot, but Purdue's run game is very efficient. Um, so... Almost half of their rushes go for over five yards, but almost none of their rushes go for uh, and almost zero, only 17 percent of their rushes go for less than one yard. Um, but they have zero yard rushes of over 20 yards. So they just kind of they're willing to grind you with the run game in order to set up a very explosive passing attack um, in terms of total yards. But if you look at like average yards per attempt, they have found a way to grind you down through the air. And I am intrigued to see how Syracuse handles this because in the past, we have seen Tony White teams come out and they like to play a certain way at first and then they adjust. I feel like through the first two games of this season, we have seen Tony White's defenses set the tone at the outset as opposed to trying to find out tendencies and then adjust. And so... If Purdue does what we think that they're going to do and just try to play within the 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, uh, I feel like this sets up really well for Syracuse. The linebackers that we have are very athletic. Uh, The corners that we have are very good at playing man coverage. Um, And so this was the other thing I wanted to call out from Bill C's advanced box score Uh, against Penn State. Uh, Penn State went man on Purdue on 55% of dropbacks, uh, including almost all of them in the fourth quarter when Penn State was making their comeback. And it worked because Penn Purdue's wide receivers were unable to make plays. Am I being overly optimistic when I say that sounds like the perfect team for Tony White's defense to just smother? Like that is what Tony White wants you to do against his defense. So what you have inadvertently done there, Andy, is walk into the statement that Syracuse fans are going to be saying for the next six to seven months of the year. And that is avoid playing zone and play man to man. Well done. <sighs> yep. Here we are. Who says we're not a basketball show? <laughs> because it applies to both right now. We'll do that later about why that applies to basketball. 
But like, yes. I, I've got that box score pulled up as well, Andy from Bill C. The that that Purdue offense averaged about three and a half to three and a half yards ish more uh, per completion against zone coverage than they did against man to man coverage. So that would behoove a person to think that uh, you should play a bit more man, especially when you see that the completion rate as well was 28 points higher for Penn State against uh, zone coverage than it was against man coverage. And what is the one thing we've hated about the defense over the past two seasons? Whenever they play zone. So let's limit that. Yeah, and if man worked, then let's roll with it. I feel like this, the corners that we have are man corners. Like, is that is that an inaccurate that is statement? Cor- that is correct, but I have seen too many plays where it's a five-step drop back from Garrett and he sits in the five to ten-yard zone, which is yes. not the best use of his talents. I, I, I just am looking at this on paper and I go, I feel like this is a good defensive matchup for Syracuse on the offensive side of the ball um I think what's kind of what's interesting here Steve is you you alluded to it is that the offensive line is going to have it's uh, probably one of the tougher challenges it has um they went up against a, tra- a terrific edge rusher uh against Louisville UConn game we we discussed uh <laughs> Purdue is a more tra- the Purdue game is a more traditional like they've got f- three, four really big guys that they're just going to kind of throw up against you and that are going to maul you. Um, What against Penn state Purdue held Penn state uh, like they were just so good. Penn state had uh, only 25% of their rushes went for more than five yards and they were only able to get a rushing first down on 12, uh, 12% of the times that they attempted that. Um, it seems like Purdue has a really solid run-stopping front. And I'm curious as to, like, we know what Syracuse is going to try to do. They're going to try to run with Sean Tucker. Like, what do you anticipate, if, if you have any anticipation on specific schemes, but in general, like, what is what is the strategy here for the offensive line when you're going up against a defensive front that is so good at stopping the run? I think you got to look at and one of the things that Bill circled on that in-depth box score is that Penn State's uh, quarterback only scrambled twice against that Purdue defense. And Garrett Trader is definitely not going to scramble only twice. Garrett Trader will scramble twice in the first drive. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So. So, like... You, so it, it now forces you to adjust uh, as the offensive line where you, you've got this is another thing where they've just got to be a bit more mobile in terms of like helping Schrader out a bit in terms of yeah. when he's when he's going to run because you know he's going to run around Garrett Schrader Garrett Schrader is many things one thing he is definitely not is a pocket passer so, accurate statement Though we've so shown like, they we've shown this year he can be. He can be. 
Uh, but history by tells, nature. History tells history tells us that he would like to not be a pocket passer. <laughs> right. If it were up to him, he'd be a running back that could throw the ball. Mm-hmm. So so th- this front, um, I was just kind of looking up some some size. Uh, it's the first four man front we'll face this year. So um, traditional four three, it looks like, uh, from what I can gather, unless they're running a nickel, which. Nope, looks like um, I'm just I'm going off positions from PFF because that tends to be more accurate than staring at a box score. Um, the uh, the the nose tackle sitting at three ten, which is I believe at least a hundred pounds more than our nose tackle is, um, <laughs> depending on who it is. But um, they they've got some beef. They don't actually, against Penn State, they didn't grade out amazingly. Every one of their linemen was under the Mendoza line, uh, under the 60.0 Mendoza line uh, in run defense. So uh, none of them were amazingly bad. It was all between that 50 and 60 uh, mark. But, yeah, I I don't know. Penn State's offensive line is probably better than ours. So it's it's going to be, like the rest of the game seems to be, <laughs> a coin flip in the trenches um i don't know i i know i've got a q a coming up with uh travis miller over at hammer and rails is it hammer and rails they're pr- the purdue sb nation blog this week and i'm sure something along those lines will come up so more to come yeah i just sorry christian you go ahead no 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 you can go ahead I, yeah i was gonna say like i'm I, like a, everything on paper about this matchup says that this is going to be a schematic battle. Like this is going to come down to coaching, and this is where I think we're going to have. Like I kept telling everybody um, when I was at the game, people were asking, like, "Oh, is Syracuse actually good? Like, should we be getting our hopes up, or do you guys think that you guys can contend in the ACC this year?" And I kept saying, like, the Purdue game feels like a bellwether game, um, not just because it's the first; it's a coin flip with expectations on Syracuse as opposed to the underdog mentality for Syracuse. Um, But I feel like this is a game where if Syracuse wins, it will be because of coaching Uh, unless Purdue comes out and lays an egg for whatever reason uh, or Syracuse, you know, lays an egg or has a severe injury during the game. It just feels like something where the two sides are evenly matched, but they each have weaknesses that can be taken advantage of with specific scheming. And I'm interested to see how that chess match plays out considering that both Purdue and Syracuse are in the position of we had to play a conference opponent in the first game of the year. We then got to do our regularly scheduled warm-up game and now we have each other to play. Uh, and it's just like, it's just, it just seems like a weird cadence for both. And so both schools are coming into this game with the same mentality of like, we probably don't want to empty out the whole playbook here, but we both really need to win this game. Purdue, because they need to get back on the wagon and dropping to one and two uh, this early in the year would be bad for them. For Syracuse, because if we want those bowl odds to continue to go up and solidify, uh, Purdue is, again, one of those games that we all had circled on the calendar of saying, like, we need to win this one to go to a bowl. And even though thing, the pro- even though the landscape has shifted, I still think that that's true. Well, now, the big thing on that, though, is that was circled as we need to win this to go to a bowl, assuming that we did not beat Louisville in the opener. So, as Kevin mentioned, that 4-1 and one is still that bellwether going into that NC State game. Um, 
I'm st- hell the way they've been playing. It, the Bellwether's five and zero, oh, but I mean four and one is manageable going into NC State, especially with what we've seen out of the rest of the ACC at this point. Yeah, because, especially because you know NC State it's, prob- it's going to NC State at some point. Right, and so. here's the hoping they don't NC State before Syracuse and then figure it out again. Yeah, we need to just yes. wait till week so- six and have them completely NC State the hell out of it. And then they can do whatever they want after that. That's fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I legitimately had this conversation with somebody over the weekend. And I was like, yeah, I think NC State's going to be the best team. And then they were like, yeah, but NC State's going to be 10 and 2. And I'm like, yes, that's that is NC State. Like this is exact. They will they will have two games where they they will have one game where they get beat by a better team and they will have one game where they NC State. Uh, and that is it's just the way of the world. And I feel like that you're, you're, you're saying you're, all the things that you're saying are accurate. Like if Syracuse is that game where NC State's NC State's great, that would be payback for whatever the hell happened the last time that we played them down there. Like, oh, that was that was the one that an, Casillo has an aneurysm from? Yes, that was okay. the one yeah. that Casillo went to and was like 13 to nine or something like just yeah. Tommy DeVito was a mess. The offensive line just didn't show up and neither did theirs and the whole thing oh my gosh anyways we don't need to relive more bad syracuse games things no, are good that's now, for the okay? sad cast that's for the sad yeah, cast that's for the sad cast yes that's for the sad cast all right I'll um an idea number one <laughs> here we go uh it, so in general uh after two weeks uh steve we'll start with you what are your feelings about Syracuse? Like have obviously everybody's a little bit more optimistic about the team, but is this about what you expected in the best case scenario? Or is this better than your best case scenario that you had like on the, on the scope and on the graph of potential outcomes? Like where was this outcome for you? I'm going to cheat because it was both. It's on paper exactly what I like had called. I think it's exactly what I called in the six and six, or it might've been dropped a Louisville beat Purdue, whatever it was. But the look test is a very different game from what I think any of us expected to see. And uh, I, I won't elaborate on that further because I'm sure Christian's got thoughts, but uh, it seems like the, the look test is well ahead of what we remotely could have expected out of this team at this point. The look test is definitely the thing that is surprising most people. I mean, not against UConn, but the Louisville game is still what's standing out in most people's minds. Now, the thing is, we have to lay that with the caveat of, now, this is the real test. If you can do it against Purdue, who grayed out better in both offense and defense in terms of PFF, uh, uh, not in terms of PFF, in terms of SP+, if you can put up that same type of performance against Purdue, that you did against Louisville, then this gets a hell of a ton better. If you keep it close and win or lose by a score, then you're okay. It, the other option is not great either. Uh, so, like, I'm still hedging because I don't know how much of that Louisville game was a fluke or yes this is real let's keep going because because as we've seen in the past um now coaches have tape on syracuse and something i also wanted to point out you 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 talked about like you know how 
do you empty out the playbook now? Do you keep some stuff hidden if you're Robert and Nye just because of who you're playing after Purdue? Because you may want to have a couple of things saved against the defense who had been scrimmaging against you for the past six, however many years he was at Virginia. Mm -hmm. Well, the the nice thing for Syracuse is that Virginia's offensive tackles look like they have two broken legs each and can't move. So I'm pretty sure... That is a good point. Yeah, Marlo Wax and Derek McDonald should be doing things that game. Um because wow uh that was their their last their virginia's last outing was not pretty from a uh, pass rush standpoint or pass protection standpoint so and you muted again yeah, yeah. yep yep i realized yep i realized it again here we are hi this is great this is my first podcast <laughs> no uh <laughs> one of the things that i like I'm a big believer in EPA in general. Um, I like I like the, the staff because it does. I was about to say that. <laughs> I do enjoy them. We need to pay more attention to them. Thank you for bringing that up, Andy. Is you're, it because you're quite you, it's because you regularly work with the environment every day? Possibly. It is, you know, I do live. Steve Steve might be biased here. No, um, EPA is ex- is the expected points metric that basically tries to break down every play into a positive or negative uh, sum of points that contributes to your overall. So if a team scores 35 points, like every play is going to contribute to you getting those 35, not just the scoring play. Um, And one of the things that EPA does really well is that because it's contextual, it does a decent job of merging explosiveness and efficiency. So SP plus is still a metric that is always going to favor efficiency over explosiveness. EPA does a little bit better of merging those two, but it doesn't do as good for opponent-adjusted stuff. It just it just kind of is, so you always have to kind of look at the schedule and take things with a grain of salt. Um, but the biggest knock that I've had on Dino Babers' offense is that they ha- it has not been efficient enough. Um, it's wildly inconsistent. It lives on high-variance plays. It relies on guys doing things that are just not rep- just not things that you can scheme for consistently. So far through the two games that Syracuse has played, they have the seventh uh, best EPA on offense in the entire country behind Georgia, Louisville, or Georgia, LSU, Minnesota, Washington, Oklahoma, Georgia, Georgia Southern. Uh, only one of those teams has a loss, and it's LSU. Um, they have the 10th best rushing attack. They have the 14th best passing attack overall that sets them up. Like they're a balanced offense, uh, inefficiency. EPA does not love their defense. A lot of that's from the Louisville game. Like they just, they gave up a lot of yards on a lot of plays. So I, I understand that what EPA says and what I think are not always aligned, but in general, this level of efficiency on offense is really promising. Like, I think this is not going to be a flash in the pan. I think this is going to be a legit trend. And so with that in mind, gentlemen, uh, Syracuse is playing Purdue. Noon, ESPN2. We return to the great nooner. Uh, it nationally televised game. How are we feeling for this one? What are your predictions? Christian, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think the final score is going to be? 
this is what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to be a wake-up call for Syracuse because I am obviously the pessimist. Um, but I still think it is a wake-up call for Syracuse because you looked good. But like I said, now you have teams that have tape against you, and this is a Purdue team that you would expect, uh, based just on history, to have at least done its homework against Syracuse. So they probably will have a game plan. This will be the first time we get to see Robert Rene adjust because you're going to, because it started well in terms of the first couple of possessions in each game so far for Syracuse. And like Steve said, and they just had to ask Madden and, you know, kind of shut the brain off. Now you're at the point where we come into the same problem where Syracuse was last year, where, okay, the script was not great in terms of producing something out of the first drive or the first two drives. So how do you adjust after that? And that will be very interesting to see uh, from Robert Anai. Uh, defensively, again, if they don't play, it, it almost seems simple. Like if they don't play zone, like it's probably going to go well. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and and like it's going to be offensive adjustment and playing the right defensive scheme, and if that turns out all correctly, I think Syracuse can win. I I think you see Purdue adjust to Garrett Schrader very well and contain him well enough to prevent him from supporting her, and eventually that leads to. What how Syracuse has lost a couple of these tight games, short drives, tired out defense, and a one one score win for Purdue. I I could see that happening. I'm going to flip the script and opt in the other direction just from the fact that uh, Ane is not a new defensive coordinator by or offensive coordinator by any stretch. So some of his tendencies, some of his familiarities will have been scouted previously. Um, it's not like I he's will an up say the one thing we have the one thing we haven't seen from Robert Ane yet, and if it's going to be an adjustment, it's going to be a trick play. Mm-hmm. What he's known for, um, but yeah, I mean we haven't seen his bag of tricks. But at the same time, like go and scout Virginia and what they did. Like, go and look at what he did at BYU. The one thing, as you mentioned, that has, after two games, will come across is being able to scout Schrader a little bit more as to how this new look Schrader actually makes his reads and where his tendencies lie, um, mostly with someone named Deronda Gadsden in that nice corner. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I've got a... I, cautiously optimistic, which I guess I tend to... That, that's the brand, I guess. Uh, but I, I think, I think Q's can pull it out, especially in the dome. Although Nooners are Nooners. Yeah, I, I'm at the point where I think I'm, I'm really interested to see what both SP plus and what Stats of Wars uh, like projections come out for this. Mostly because I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the data and I'm everything is pointing to this being a coin flip. And last year we saw Syracuse lose three straight coin flip games. 
So uh, my my optimism in Syracuse in close games is not high at the moment. However, I like I said, I love how efficient this offense has been so far. I think Garrett Trader's decision making has fundamentally changed. I feel pretty confident that this is going to be like a 31-28 game. And I am going to, for the first time, lean into the optimism and let the hope be the thing that kills me. I'm going to go 31-28 Syracuse over Purdue. I don't know if it's going to be a last second field goal that needs to be kicked. I just think that this game is going to be this is going to be a one score game and it's going to be it's going to be tight the entire way. Uh, It's going to be squeaky bum time if you uh, since we didn't get any EPL this this weekend. Uh, have to get some EPL references in uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but speaking of soccer, men's soccer uh, and women's soccer had themselves a week. Women's soccer has won six straight games, um, which just in itself is a, is incredible. Their most their most recent win was a three nothing win over Cornell. Men's soccer played the number twenty two Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and just. They won one to nothing. Steve, you were at this game. Uh, you missed it when we talked about this on the pregame show yesterday. That was a FIFA game. I oh, was going to say, this just, scr- <laughs> like, the box score just screams, like, oh, this was a video game, or this was EPL game of good team plays bad team uh, and just caves in the other side. But I don't think that that's what's, I don't think that, like, that was the narrative at all. But, so, Steve, what happened there? Um, that Syracuse outshot Notre Dame 22 to three, nine shots on target to one. <laughs> yeah, no, they just straight up dominated them. There was no two ways about it. Like the ball was in the Notre Dame, like 22 for most of the game. Um, you know, Notre Dame had a couple of decent, uh, you know, breaks or free kicks from decent area. But overall, I mean, Russell Shealy didn't see hardly any action so like he got he he literally saw more back passes from his own defenders than he did potential things to stop and and i'm surprised they went with shealy instead of don howard who's looked pretty good um, yeah whenever whenever they find out yeah when i when i stepped up to the hill i was like oh okay shealy's back out there because i haven't i didn't see the two two games last week the Yukon and the Virginia or the Vermont. So I don't know how who how or what started those, but the last thing I remember was Shealy not being aggressive and coming out on the disallowed goal uh in that 2-0 win against um whoever it was against that was a decent team that I literally was sitting behind the goal for. Uh awesome awesome radio here, but Penn State? <laughs> Yes, Penn State. there we go. Um so yeah, I don't know. Max doing it again, man. Um, uh, one thing of note, Giano Leibold, the left wing back that is kind of a do-it-all Swiss Army knife over there, uh, went out of the game with uh, what had to have been a concussion unless he was suddenly really drunk walking off the field. Um, he was doing the, the weeble wobble, so I'm assuming that was a head-to-head or a concussion after the head-to-head. Yikes. Yeah, so uh, we'll see when he suits back up again. Um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Michael Michael do his best getting him back back upright. But other than that, I think everybody else escaped without injury, and it was. I mean, 
it really was a a master class in what was happening like Notre Dame was just slow to react and not able to keep up with what the offense was doing uh Kurt Kalov back looks really really good and kind of moves things through that midfield um so yeah I'm looking forward to what they've got going moving moving towards the rest of the season and in typical EPL fashion Syracuse can beat ranked teams but can't beat Vermont on a cold rainy night in Vermont yeah in Burlington um pretty <laughs> Same much thing is stoke yep mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's yeah it's stoke with more hippies um the yeah it was i don't know it was just it was great to see what they were doing if and i don't think i think someone brought it up on twitter to me i don't think it was a matter of uh the classic not being able to finish that we've had mm-hmm. problems with in the past um Yes, they weren't able to finish, but they also, you know, uh, sent a couple directly at the keeper or had a couple just wide or had stuff blocked, you know, appropriately. Um, It wasn't a, uh, I guess, it wasn't too any or too much fault of their own compared to what it could be. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I, I. the 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 things I wanted to call out this week for the men's soccer team, uh, they play Niagara tomorrow night uh, at Syracuse. That's at the soccer stadium, and then Friday on ACC Network, uh, they play Clemson at seven p.m. So that you know, got to get past Niagara, but that is a that Friday night game could be a big coming out party for Mac and the team to kind of prove that the what they've done so far is not a fluke. Um, and on that note, too, the women's soccer team, who is, again, they have won six straight since losing to UConn six nothing back in August, um, has a game against Duke at the soccer stadium uh, on Friday night at 7 p.m. as well. That one will be on ACC Network Extra. So big Friday night of soccer coming up here. Uh, women at home against Duke trying to continue the win streak. Men on the road against Clemson on TV uh going for that trying to look and stay undefeated so so the women listen women are seven and one right now uh yes that seven is one win away from their total wins from the last three years combined wait what over the last three years they've had eight (laughs) wins total so Uh, yeah yeah, it feels like we are going to need to that. That's going to need to be a story that we're going to have to talk about at some point, because uh, that is what we call a turnaround in program speak. Yeah. And when they hired Nikki Adams, they like uh, it was it was the right move. And here we are trotting into ACC into the ACC slate at seven and one compared to what it had been in the past where uh, it wasn't pretty per se. Yeah, definitely agree there. Uh, now that we have covered all of the football on the campus and on the hill, <laughs> I feel like we can comfortably say that this has been another solid edition of the Troy Noons is an Absolute podcast. We do this every Sunday night live on Twitch. So thank you to those who are watching live. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening uh, on your podcast provider of choice, please rate us, review us, subscribe, help us uh, trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. We got to use these machines for something good. Uh, expanding the Ottoman Empire is the way to do it. If you're reading this or watching this on the Nudes Magician uh, website, thank you for coming to NudesMagician.com. We really appreciate it. We'll have 
tons of Purdue coverage this week. Uh, obviously, a big home game. Every I think that uh, my my wife watched it with uh, the UConn game with a friend here in Brooklyn, and it's just in general. I think that people are starting to get sucked into Syracuse football. Like last basketball season, not being good has given some people. Uh, there were there they want to be excited about Syracuse again, and football is providing that opportunity. So I feel like Saturday could be a really fun time at the dome, and I'm jealous that I won't be able to get up there to watch it. But uh, I'm assuming Steve, you will have a great time uh, as per usual. Nope, I won't be nope. there. You guys are all on coverage. Well, it's Sebastian's cool. birthday, so you guys uh, and you're not spending it at the jma wireless dome god yeah i'm not, I'm not spending it in the <laughs> yeah, press box at the uh, at the jma wireless dome if i was sitting is he wait, is he... uh you guys yeah, are frozen on my end yeah uh, well now i feel yeah. like a dick uh, <laughs> <laughs> that does it for the all right yeah hit, hit the outro because you guys were frozen <laughs> on my end and that actually uh that all That's caught on that... audio so yeah mine's the one that matters uh... <laughs> Yep. Yeah. There so send, we go. send okay. us home, Craigler. Send us home. Yep. Thank you again for <laughs> listening to us. Uh, as always, go orange. <laughs> go orange.